With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to a somber yet celebratory episode of the Grizz Den podcast. Brantley and Ty are both here. We are remote. Hopefully we will be in person for the next one, but we are remote recording this episode. It is the third annual Denny's, which if you are a longtime listener, you will know that this is our award show that we do after each season, once it ends, where we award uh, different players in different categories. We award different moments. We'll go through the categories here shortly. But we must mourn the Grizzlies season coming to a close in six games against the Golden State Warriors in the second round of the playoffs. The Grizzlies lost 96-110 to in San Francisco very late last Friday night. We have been processing that loss and are now ready to press the record button and give you our thoughts. So uh, we'll talk about that game. We'll talk about um, how we'll recap our, our preseason bets as a little bonus segment just to see how, how we did and where we stand on that. Uh, but let's start <laughs> first with the uh, with the game, with the series against Golden State. Brantley, I'll pass it over to you. What were your thoughts as the season came to a close? How, how were your uh, emotions, and, and what did you take from, from the game? Well, um, well even like the, the, the two games, right, of like the blowout win. Yes. Because I don't think we've really talked – the blowout win – that's into correct. the sort of you know hard fought valiant effort until seven minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. You know the blowout win was just sort of hilarious. You know, like it just um, it it really was. An, it's an interesting thing now to see like that game and compared to what happened with the Dallas Phoenix game, honestly. And you know, you sort of just wonder if there's a couple bounces go a different direction in previous games, like not that we maybe have that massive of a blowout win to close the series, but that's one of the things now just Mm. sort of seeing like what's happened in the final rounds of these, you know, second round series would, could that have been us? Maybe who knows? Um, And like, they just, this is the obvious takeaway that probably everybody has read, but Draymond, Coach Draymond and Steph made a great move, you know? Like, a, that report came out that Draymond and Steph are the ones who made the call to play Looney um, those minutes to help sort of get the edge on um, rebounding 
And that was the difference in the game. You know, their out rebounding efforts on the, you know, on both ends of the court outweighed their terrible championship pedigree effort from a turnover perspective. And, you know, like, um, just coming away from it, I'm just, and, and having a couple of days to like, sort of like tone myself down. Um, even though I am in health and safety, health and safety protocols due to the Grizzlies is <laughs> because like, you know, like I don't have a bad taste in my mouth in that loss. You know, we went out hard. We were without our best player. We had a couple guys who not were limping, but we definitely weren't at their tip top shape. We saw some things, I think, from a couple of players that at some point we'll probably want to get into that I think were pretty momentum building for moving into the offseason. And I think we also learned some stuff on a couple of players that that might be an input into some of the considerations that we're going to think about that the front office is going to make on the offseason. You know, we have a we have a full, you know, like what, 13 game or 12 game playoff understanding of like this current roster um it's a pretty good sample size of what it's what we need and what we're what we think it's going to take to sort of like put some different pieces around the fringes or maybe make a big move to help us go deeper next year ty what do you think as far as the last game goes it was tough because i legit thought we had a chance to win the game um and I think I sent y'all a long text like the day before. I was like, this is what's going to happen. We're going to win a close game. Injury reports real quiet the next day. Early game day, we get an update. Ja Morant gets, you know, up, upgraded to questionable. He plays. We win game seven. We win the title. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I think this is going into this series. I think I even said this. It was like. It was all gravy at this point. Um, the fact that we won our first round series. Jai even mentioned this. It was kind of cool. Like the first year he was there, we made the play-in. Second year he was there, we won the play-in. Made it to the first round. Third year he's been with us. We won in the first round, made it to the – so we have literally advanced each step every year Jai's been here, which is kind of wild. Um, and this playoff series – especially towards the end we were without jaw and that just obviously showed. Um, but I think it was awesome that we had that game, that game, that game five. Uh, like I will forever remember game five when Jaron hit like two 40 footers and pointed to the floor from where he shot it from. Um, just little moments like that. That was so fun. The whoop that trick, Draymond losing his mind. Um, it was a tough end to the season, but it was also, um, I'm not going to take, yeah, I'm not going to take a negative mindset away from that for sure. It was all positive at that point for me. Yeah. And I kind of felt the same way. I mean, going into the playoffs, one of my, when we've referenced this on the podcast, but my whole thing was just, if you can get past the first round, then we'll reevaluate from there and see, you know, as we get into the second round series, uh, game to game, kind of what does it look like? And it's, it was such a weird series with Golden State. I mean, I, I really do think back to the first three games as their own sort of microcosm in, in the way that there was just so much off the court 
and we were talking about there were two ejections in the first two games. Uh, those, you know, the the coaches kind of going back and forth for I don't know. It just felt like a drama filled series, and the first two games were really close and were and were won in dramatic fashion. And then really after that, you only had one game after those first two games that that had real drama. And that was game four. And I was looking back at our recording. And it it is tough with these West Coast games. We learned this with Utah last year. You know, this is this podcast we love to do. Uh, (laughs) But when a game is at 9 p.m., man, it is uh, it is not the easiest thing to to press record when you lose by 30. Um, And uh, and we basically decided after like game three, okay, there's only a, a day in between. It's a Sunday. We'll just. You know, let let game three play out. Game four, it's at 9 p.m. Uh, in Golden State. And this was the game where um, Ja, it was the first time he was out in the series. And he was out for the last three games. And we were really cruising. It felt like Golden State really wanted to give that game up uh, from all the different turnovers. They were just, they couldn't hit a shot. And then the last minute of the game, we have what uh, this podcast has coined a disaster. And that becomes the storyline. We are all just kind of incensed, and yet there's another just one-day break in between games. And then you have this, like, insane win. And uh, it was just such a high and low, and really that game four was the only one in the last four games that was actually close. Um, So it was just a weird series. I did feel like that the way that we played without Ja. Uh, all season and also into the playoffs was just so confident. I don't, I don't have any other word. I mean, I think that you could look into just the analysis piece of it and and see that we played better on defense when Ja was out and everybody else sort of settled into a role. And yet at the same time, you saw at the end of Game Four what it was like without a closer out there, and so. I'm not one to suggest that we are ever better without John Morant. I think the record, though, states that it, it if anything, says more about the rest of this team um, and their their ability to step up and the way that Jenkins has sort of empowered this this group. And so, anyway, it was it was the whole experience of the series was just kind of bizarre and I I am interested to see how the Golden State Dallas series plays out I think um, I really think that the the champion will come out of the east that would that's my hot take Uh, I think if you were to rank these teams one through four uh, I think the top two in my opinion might come out of the east even though Dallas looked really good Uh, y'all might disagree with me on that but uh, anyway I think that it was it was kind of an end that was inevitable without Jaw, uh, but if we were to have gotten to a game seven, I would have probably been just as confident <laughs> uh, as we were earlier in the series. So it was just a crazy ending. And yeah, Brantley, I agree with you. I, I think that there is a lot to take away from uh, this playoffs in terms of decision making because I think you do have a large enough sample size. So it's going to be really interesting as we get into our uh, our off-season podcast, which we'll preview in our next episode. 
what what are we going to do? You know, how do you take this team to the next level? I think there's there's some obvious ways to do it. Um, but any final thoughts before we get into the uh, into the next part of the pod? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that I'm just going to tease out for a second that I know we're going to talk about in a later pod is just some of the quotes from Kleiman and sort of my interpretation on what that means, um, p- particularly in comparing that with sort of the way he's engaged the media in the past. I do think it sort of is indicating maybe a different phase that this front office is about to be operating in. So like, we'll talk about that later, but that's just one thing that I think that we're sort of thinking through how this series ended and the sample size piece. I think we're getting some pretty good indicators from an exit interview perspective on what that potential could be. Yeah. To kind of go off of that too. So people have kind of mentioned this season, like, Regular season Phoenix, obviously everyone said like, oh my gosh, they're the juggernaut. They're such a strong favorite for the title. And you just saw what happened when they ran up against a pretty competent defense that forced them to do things they didn't really want to do, and they lost. Point being, like, this season really felt wide open to me. I don't know if you all agree with that. And I feel like if anything, like, we put ourselves in a position to take advantage of that openness if that makes sense Uh, we kind of got some unlucky bounces with injuries even if like last series like Steven Adams health and safety protocols Dylan was basically out two games Um, Ja was played three games was out the next the next three Um, even like if things would have broke right for us like who's to say where we like let's say I don't know, Clay tweaks something or, or Draymond tweaks something or something like that, or we just have all of our guys for the whole series. And I, f- I feel like this season really kind of showed, like, we're good enough right now to where we don't have to, like, sit back and wait around. Like, we are good enough to be able to put ourselves in a position that if things do kind of fall into place, like, we're good enough to get there. And I think if, if this season showed anything, even honestly, if these playoffs showed anything, to me it's that. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting how we uh, decide where to go next because I do agree. If the ball bounces differently, then we're right there. And I will say this too. I think Clay Thompson listened to the pod that we did after game two uh, when I know I called him washed. And uh, he <laughs> definitely is not washed that is confirmed but one caveat i would say is how many of his threes came off of like insane long bounce rebounds that were 50 50 balls and just showed Mm. up in his hands wide open that's i want to see that stat and if you if you can if you can tell me that uh listener i really appreciate it and uh my bet is it's pretty high so congratulations clay for beating a John Morantless Grizzlies team. I'm super glad you celebrated a whole lot about that. Um, all right, let's do a quick review of where our preseason uh, wagers stand. <laughs> we'll do this briefly, and we'll, then we'll get to the Denny's. If you were a listener at the beginning of the season, Brantley, Ty, and I took $1,000, and we spread it around 10 different future bets about the NBA season, and I want to review the ones that have officially hit and review the ones that are still outstanding that will actually determine potentially the winner. So, Brantley, we'll start with you. 
Uh, the three bets out of the ten that we made that you hit were the Grizz season over, the Golden State over, and the Miami over. And you won a total of $983. So congratulations. You did not lose very much. Oh, uh, Only $17. That sucks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, Ty, the, you hit four bets. And keep in mind, we weighted all of these differently so like we could put as much as we wanted on each bet so that the dollar amounts aren't going to be straight, except for Ty. He actually put 100 on each one. So spread on all of them, baby. Evenly. So Ty, the bets that you won, Phoenix to win the division, uh, the Knicks to miss the playoffs, the Raptors to make the playoffs, and the Grizzlies to make the playoffs. Uh, you won $135 above your $1,000. So congratulations. That's, that's weak. I have three bets that have hit, and there's actually one more that could hit, and it could determine the winner. So I, um, I hit Phoenix to win the division. I hit the Denver over by a half game, and I hit the Clippers to miss the playoffs. <laughs> and so right now I've made $816, but I have two bets right now. One of them is the, the Pacific division to win the finals, and the other is the Atlantic division to win the finals. So... If Golden State or Boston wins the finals, it will actually put me over the top by about $100 against Ty, mm. and I will take home the crown. Uh, mm. However, if the Heat or uh, the Mavericks win, then I'm out of luck, and Ty is the winner. Uh, but it, not a very impressive showing from any of us, to be real. Uh, maybe we'll do better next time. But anyway... We'll, we'll keep we'll monitor that. We'll update you guys. Um, but now, without further ado, it is time for the most famous award show in the Grizzlies podcast realm. It is the Denny's coined by our own Ty Smith. This is the third annual Denny Awards, and we have we have some categories to get to, and we're gonna just start at the top. And I'm gonna introduce the first one, and then we'll go. And uh, each take a category, and we'll discuss, and and we will come to a consensus on what, which Denny we will award for each category. So the very first category for the third annual Denny Awards is the best deal slash pick of the year. Keep in mind, we uh, start essentially at the prior year's draft. So. Um, for instance, in 2021, the winner of this Denny Award was the Desmond Bain pick. Uh, so that is the reigning champion. The best deal slash pick nominees are the Jonas Valanciunas trade for Steven Adams, where we sent out JV, the 17th pick of the 21 draft, which ended up being Trey Murphy, to New Orleans in return for Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, the 10th pick, which turned into Zaire Williams, and the Lakers' 2022 first-round pick, which is not looking like we will get from New Orleans. Mm. So that will convert into two seconds. So that's one nominee. The second nominee is drafting Zaire Williams with that 10th pick. The third nominee, <laughs> which is a funny one, Eric Bledsoe to the Clippers for Patrick Beverly <laughs> and other stuff. And then Patrick Beverly then being flipped to the Timberwolves for Jarrett Culver. So essentially shaving money and also getting a young guy who we can test in our system. And then honorable mention I wanted to include Marcus All, who uh, we acquired before waiving him. So he ended his career in the NBA, 
as a Memphis Grizzly. Beautiful. Uh, but yeah, what do y'all think about those three nominees, and which one would you pick? Mm. Ty, man, this is like this has got you all over it. I feel like I can't wait to hear you talk it's about drafting Z. <laughs> oh gosh, to me, it's drafting Zaire. I remember when we had the draft, we were at a pool party, like like a bunch of twelve year olds uh, playing some pool volleyball at Brantley's house. The draft was on. And we started seeing some names go off the board that we were pretty upset about. We all thought we were going to trade up to get Giddy. And then we were like, oh, we're for sure trading up to get Franz Wagner. None of those things happened. Ten came down, and we were like, Moses Moody, maybe? And then Zaire got picked, and basically everyone was like, I hate this. But me and Jacob Kent. Shout out Jacob Kent. I felt good about it probably because I would have felt good about anything because that's just my the way I look at things, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, but to me, I think drafting Zaire, I think he showed way more this rookie year than we were all expecting. Um, and I think that only bodes well for the future. I mean, it's got to be Pat Bev, right? I mean, like, where would we be without beating <laughs> his ass in the playoffs? <laughs> Can you imagine? He on first take today was just legendary. Can you yeah, su- can you summarize topical. can you summarize this for me? Because I I saw you text us that and I did not get to I watch it. I couldn't stop. Okay, I just, he was I he was stop watching slandering Chris Paul. Which I mean, this is a very low hanging fruit time to like bash Chris Paul. Uh, but man. He was going just in. Like, what did he say? Him. For real. Called him a traffic cone out. on defense. A traffic cone. Basically, it was like, Chris Paul can't guard. He hadn't been able to guard for years. All the teams know this. Dallas finally went at him. He couldn't guard. He basically was like, he's not a dog. Like, he doesn't have it in him. Um, and just, that nobody was scared of Phoenix. Nobody, was Yeah, nobody point. was scared of Phoenix. He was like, he compared. He said, when I know that I have to guard Chris Paul the next day. I'm staying up. I'm going out. I'm doing all that kind of stuff. He's like, but if I know I got to guard Steph Curry, I'm in bed by eight telling no one to contact me. He's like, Chris Paul doesn't scare anybody. Just wild. So just to bring it back, I actually, if I had to vote, and Brantley, unfortunately you're going to have to be the tiebreaker. on I'm going to go with the JV deal. Um, the reason why is because not only was that sort of the precursor to us drafting Zaire, and I'm like, you know, it is, he does, Z does fit the profile, uh, of who we needed. We needed he's going to be good guys. He's I know gonna he's going to be great. I think that there, I mean, it's still unclear to me whether or not he was still going to be available, uh, at that 17th spot. I mean, it's hard to say now because everybody has seen him play and he would go earlier than that and it wouldn't be a question. We got to remember at the time how much of a reach this was considered <laughs> based on his his uh, just lack of uh, PT, not even PT, but just like minutes in, in college due to a bunch of different factors. But then also, you know, going back to high school – He's super skinny. Still, you know, he wasn't profiled as the guy who was going to be a surefire, even lottery pick. And at a high school, he was. Yeah, like, at he a was high a school, top five player in the, in the country before. in the mocks. Before yeah, the but draft. The, so, I will never 
the mocks are the worst. Kevin O'Connor does mock. He's just never been right a day in his life. I just <laughs> okay. He's, that is he's real uh, positive though. That's true. Gosh. I will agree with you. I don't put a lot into the mocks. I think it was just the consensus of them. Because uh, usually there's a few that will have some like, you know, surprises here and there. I think the other part of this though is how, I mean, for lack of a better term, the balls it takes to send out You're a center mm-hmm. who averaged a double double and was like leading the team basically in usage and was the anchor of an offense. And especially when John Morant was out, like, JV was a guy that we, I mean, had. I, I I can't even describe how valuable he was. I mean, he he truly was. Uh, what brought it? Just I mean, in every sense. And I think that to give that away, to move up in a draft where there wasn't kind of a surefire, <coughs> clear. Uh, top you know however many picks because after a certain a certain number everybody agreed and after four or five it kind of dropped off and it was like are we really trading up only seven picks but giving away the guy who has you know averaged basically like 20 and 13 for us <coughs> and in return you know we were excited about Steven Adams because of the the potential fit but it just shows you that this front office had a plan and that was an essential part of the long-term plan, because if JV is on this team, the paint is clogged. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are playing differently. He has to get up his shots. I mean, how much usage does Jaron have in relation? And I think that's a huge. Deal. Yeah. Well, the the front office, you know, we made we made deals in the off season, um, and you know, to move on the fringes to invest in the future in two ways. We, we made this trade, but we also traded Grayson Allen, which is the other one that I think should be up for consideration on this based on sort of what he's been uh, demonstrated to do on another big level with a different team with the best player in the NBA right now. Um, How did I miss that one? That's a great call. um, Thank you. He, um, you know, we got back Sam Merrill and two first round picks for Grayson, which, I would say enabled Desmond Bain and Zaire to get the the minutes. That, I mean, maybe not Zaire. Really, Dylan's injury is what opened him up to get looks, but really that allowed Bain to flourish. I think um, and forced the hand there a little bit. Um, so you you sort of have to put both of those, I think, in the buckets of. So I'm going to vote for the JV one because it just was like we're willing to invest in the future, not just try to be a mediocre team. And it could have backfired, you know, there's a strong chance that giving out JV and moving up to get Zaire, like Bain doesn't take the leap this year and it puts more pressure on John Jaron and they're not able. And maybe Jaron keeps up his fouls, you know, like, I don't know. Like there's a, there's a different narrative that could have been potential that could have potentially happened where Adams doesn't really help out like he did and blah, 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 blah. So, and, and it didn't. And I would say that I think all of us, at least throughout the year have said like, Hey, like that trade JV opening up Adams ability to not be a score first, but look to, to pass, give a second chance opportunities to a fault, almost all the second chance opportunities were going back to our young core. They were never him 
again, to a fault, I think, at times, never going back up to score. He was always looking to kick. Um, thank you, Russell Westbrook. So I I think that helped us. I, I think that gave us more development exponentially this season than what we would have gotten had JV been here. The other part of this, too, is I wanted to mention, at the time, we also had this this Lakers pick. And I was, you know, throughout the year, literally until the last month of the season, we had an extra first round pick, which was going to look like the best a one. A really of the group. good one too. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, even even that, it, let's just say that that hit or that pick hit, like this would be a no question. But I do agree, Ty. Like if we look up in three years, I think that this that tenth pick, if you miss on it then all of a sudden that JV deal doesn't look as good. So I do agree. They're, they're kind of almost linked in a way. I mean, Yeah, for sure. It's, it's hard to pick just one. I think, to me, the reason why I went with the JV one is because it sort of was the, the setup. And without the setup, you don't get to draft Zaire. And so that's the reason why I voted for it. But yeah. um, with that, we'll, we will award the first Denny Award to the Steven Adams trade for the best deal slash pick of the year. Good job, mate. Ty, do you, do you want to uh, to bring in our next category? Let's do it. So we'll jump straight to the worst deal <laughs> Low slash pick. Not a lot here. Yeah. So trading JV, clearly that's not it. Um, selecting Zaire, I would argue that's not it. Trading up for Santi, I mean, you know, that wasn't great, maybe, but... He was a project to start. And then Bledsoe to the Clippers for Pat Bev and then Pat Bev to the Wolves for Culver. So mine is going to be that one. And the reason is, is because I think we could have gotten more for Beverly um, than what we got for him. Um, The only other honorable mention to me would be trading up to 30 for Santi, especially when you just compare – you know, doing the same thing for Bane <laughs> and comparing like Bane to Son. I know they're like different trajectories, different, you know, career paths, all that kind of stuff, but still. Um, so I could see that one too. But to me, I just feel like looking back, we could have gotten more for Beverly than what we did. Maybe we couldn't have, um, but to me, it felt that way. Can I just abstain from this? Having been through Grizz lore and just like the, like, the worst deal picks that we've done in our livelihood as a franchise. Like none of these, none of these are even worth being mentioning to me. I like, can we just like, put this is not applicable. Like this is just not a thing. I know it's so funny when we, we go through these deals because I mean, I will say in last year, so I have like last year's pulled up as well. And it's hilarious how like the worst (laughs) deal is like waving Gorgie Jang. (laughs) Like, this front office just has not made a ton of mistakes. The Justice one is the only one that has really been, unfortunately, uh, just didn't work out. But the rest of them, I mean, the worst thing that happens is stuff on the margins. And that's what this is again. And the only thing that I wanted to bring up is I think that, um, like, there are a couple players in here that – you know, like I was looking back at the the 2021 draft, and I I don't want to sound like uh, I'm voting against like this this Zaire. Like I'm so excited about Zaire. I I loved having him out there. 
I, I was on the podcast talking about how nervous I was about playing Zaire in the playoffs, and by the end, I felt like he deserved to be out there. So Absolutely. I'll say that on the front end. The other, the other, only thing that could make the Zaire pick uh, look like the quote-unquote worst one in this group is if somebody behind him were to like jump up and be, uh, you know, better. Like Moses Moody stands out. He was drafted at 14. Alperin Shingun could end up being really good, but he's not exactly what we needed at the time. And then past that, you scroll down, and I mean, there aren't a ton. Uh, of, of players that you would take. I mean, Herb Jones is the only other one to me that you would draft, but he didn't go till 35. So, I mean, we, we passed on him twice, and that was an obvious oversight by everyone in the league, and so I'm not going to fault the front office for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you could say we could have gotten more for Beverly. I mean, $13 million for what Patrick Beverly brings to me is not necessarily positive value I guess he's best at a place like Minnesota where there's like this lack of alpha mentality and lack of you know uh, toughness and he brings that in a way so he was valuable to the T-Wolves maybe we couldn't could have gotten more but I mean at the end of the day we were just trying to get off of money for this upcoming summer so I mean even that was those were moves around the margins and Santi Aldama he I mean, he would be my vote, but I I agree. I maybe we could do a first time abstention. Um, <laughs> yeah, worst deal slash Let's abstain. We don't. Yeah. Let's do it. We will abstain from the award as a podcast. Uh, that's the official. Sorry, rule. nobody gets a plaque. So for Brantley, that. you. Sorry, Sandy. No, that's fine. You want to introduce our next category? Yeah. So this is the most surprising, and the options are Bane's leap, BC's bounce back. That's some good alliteration there. BC bounce back. BBB. Uh, sorry. Um, Adams fit with this team and the Zaire improvement. And the one that uh, <clears throat> jumps out to me is just if I were going to go back and like, if you were going to tell me at the beginning of the season that 90% of Grizz fans we're worried about the Warrior series because we didn't have Adams. And like, when are we getting Adams back on the court? Like, A, his history with the Grizz, and just B, that he is like that made that much of a difference to our team. And like, A, just like side note, I just like love how much of a basketball city Memphis is that like they understand how Aquamane has that big of an impact on our team. <laughs> I just love that ish. Like, people know his like sort of his tangential basketball impact on boarding, allowing Jaron to open up on the defensive end. I just think holistically he did some stuff that's allowed us to play differently. He allowed Jaron to be more free during the regular season and have a, you know, fringe defensive player of the year conversation type season. I just, all of these are really unbelievable options to me. I just would have never expected him to have had the type of impact that he did and to be like, man, he's a vet that I kind of want on our team if we can get him on a friendly deal moving forward even after this next season. Ty, well, I mean, it is a tough vote. This might be the toughest category so far. Do you have a, do you have a vote? Uh, I mean, I'm – I'm kind of leaning. I I love that because I, I love the Adams thing. Um, yeah, you kind of 
talked about not not only fit on the court but just like fit with the just the team. Apparently, like everyone loved him, um, and yeah, it was just awesome. But I would have to go with Bain's leap. Um, I think he had the second best three point percentage basically in the entire NBA. Um, just didn't see that coming against Minnesota. He was our he might have been the best player in the series as a whole. Didn't really see that coming either. Um, watching him being hurt against the Warriors the first few games really showed how much we needed him. Like, he's essential. Um, and we all, like, after last year, we were like, Bain needs to play more for sure. But we were absolutely like, who will start, Bain or Melton? I don't know if you all remember we had that conversation. Um, like that's where he was in our eyes at, to start the season. Like you think he'll start? I don't know. Melton might start. We'll see what happens. I don't really know. And he just like crushed my expectations for him this year. So I'd probably go with Bain's leap. Yeah, I mean, for me, the uh, the BC bounce back would probably come in fourth because I was there the whole time, guys. <laughs> Like I really was. You uh, doubted at some point. He, you had to have. Oh, I did. I did, and it had I, what I realized and what I wished I, that I had seen at the time was, and we alluded to it actually. I listened back to our our Denny's podcast from last year, and Ty actually was the one who pointed out like it was a side comment, kind of a throwaway deal. But Ty, you were saying like, yeah, maybe you know, maybe it's just he's not being put in the right positions this year, and then went on about like how he just hasn't played well and we're nervous about it. And that was a good, I mean, it was a good call. He wasn't in the right position and he was being forced to, to shoot from outside. That wasn't his game. He needed to stay in the paint and he needed to play with Jaron and, uh, and play with, you know, basically be a Rover in the paint and just clean it all up. And that's what he did. And so I think that's huge. Um, Desire improvement. I mean, we've now mentioned him in each category so far. I want to note that, like, two months into the season, he was already basically called a bust, and not. And if it wasn't a bust, it was more like, okay, is this guy, you know, how long is he gonna actually take? Uh, because it's looking right now that he's extremely raw. And then he went out with an injury for a couple weeks and came back and was like a completely different player. And so I think, um, I think if I had to vote though, I would go with Bane's leap. I don't think that like this podcast, especially we were all on team Bane, uh, ever since like he had that game one against Utah in that playoff series where we saw, okay, like he is, he is a guy, uh, that we are going to have around for a long time. And we saw the beginnings of it, but you're right, Ty. Like, we were having those conversations about whether he should even start. And then all of a sudden, he is now a part of the core. I think that he could make an all-star team, like, in the next couple of the year, uh, of years if the Grizzlies continue to be this good. Um, like, it, it's not crazy to me, at least. If and Andrew so, Wiggins can start an all-star game, yeah, and Des th- can absolutely make one. Yes, and I also think, too, like, it is not bold to say anymore. I think Bain is, like, a top three or four shooter in the NBA. Already. He's our second-best yeah. scoring um, threat. You just look at, like, right, you look at volume, you look at percentage in the whole NBA. He's there. 
Um, I'll break the tie. I'll go with Bane's leap. It was just an unbelievable surprise in the best way. And yet at the end of the day, if you look at like the groundwork that had been laid, we look back and it's almost as if it wasn't a surprise. But at the end of the day, you have to recognize. It's why we do this podcast. We look back at the beginning That's right. and we judge the whole thing. And So and up to this point in the playoffs, who do you think's made the most threes in the playoffs? Just total threes made. I mean, Tatum. Is it Bain? Yeah, absolutely, it is. It's Bane. <laughs> I was trying to three made else. threes for this entire playoff. Steph is second with forty-two. Clay is right behind him at forty-two. Tatum is fourth. Uh, but the fact that Bane has made more threes than Steph and Clay these playoffs is just wild to me. That's well, just they awesome. they played less games than us in the first round. That's the only caveat I'd add to that. But yeah, I'm with you. They played one less game. That's true. That's true. But shout out Stephen Adams. Aquaman. Uh man, that was yeah, truly the way that he fit like a glove and I I will never forget us watching even that Cleveland Cavaliers game opening one, night game together. <laughs> And he had like two backdoor passes. Oh. And we were like, all right. Oh, we're in. <laughs> it was immediate. That Cleveland like, Cavs game, I thought about that. Like, it got kind of like emotional, actually. Side note, like, thinking about this season, like, driving home from work today, I was like, we all got together and watched that Cavs game. And they, we thought the Cavs were trash. And it was like a really good game. We're like, maybe the Cavs are good. Like, I don't know. Like, Mobley. this is sort of weird. <laughs> and it was such a great game, but we were so quick on the like, Dude, Adams is gonna fit. It was like, it was like love at first sight. It was so weird. I mean, he like when he got a rebound and had his first like outlet pass that was from the the basket all the way over half court, and Ja like had a run out fast break. I was like, okay, <laughs> like this is a new deal. Like I don't, I, I mean, yeah. So shout out Stephen Adams. Uh, next category is most disappointing. Um, it's not one that we love, uh, but it's one we have to talk about. So the first nominee in this category is Kyle Shooting. Uh, the second nominee is Dylan in the Warrior Series. The third nominee is DeAnthony Melton's continued playoff struggle. And the fourth is Jaron's fouling playing a really big part in our first round series against Minnesota. So... Who wants to start on this one? Will, why don't you get us going? Why don't you Take get us away, going, Tubbs. Will, since you, you read it off. So, this one is is tough. Uh, we actually, in the 2021 Denny's, had Kyle Shooting <laughs> as a nominee in the most surprising. And maybe that should have been revealing, because if his shooting was that surprising, then maybe it was anomalous, and especially as a veteran. So I will I will say like I'm as you guys know a huge Kyle fan, and that really um, I would say that element of his like if shooting wasn't involved in basketball, Kyle Anderson might be like the goat, like <laughs> honestly, uh, because he could do everything else well. But it has shown, like, we need another four-slash-just-forward-sized guy who can shoot. And 
that is the biggest team need that we have. And when Kyle and BC were out there, then uh, we just couldn't we couldn't score because we had to clog the paint and we had two guys who couldn't space the floor. And so I think because of that, I, I got frustrated. Um, and that was my personal most disappointing, but I am not married to that vote. So do you guys have other opinions? I'll, I'm going to say mine because I think it's also tied to an improvement that I hope to see next season is that, and my caveat to all these are that like disappointing to me, me means that I expected something different. So like Kyle shooting, I didn't, I didn't really, I thought last year was an outlier. I didn't really expect anything. Melton's playoff struggles. Y'all sure as heck know that I didn't expect anything different than what the boy did. Uh, and he did. I mean, you know, the Warrior series. He was okay. He was better. He was, but like, he was. He was. Fine. He was better. He was fine. Um, whatever. The Jaron playoff fouling. When I like take a step back, I'm like not surprised. Like this is really his like first true series to really, like full season under his belt, like where we saw a season of what it would look like without him getting fouling all the time. I'm just telling y'all why I'm like voting for Dylan because I also think because I apologize (laughs) to Dylan and man, I really, gosh, I'm so mad at myself. Like he must've just been like, man, now finally Brantley's he's, he's in. And then decided (laughs) to just go and just like, it's not just that game. Like, I don't even like, I, I know we sort of needed him in game six to do what he did, but I also feel like that's what like led to us losing the last seven minutes because he just couldn't keep it up. And I just, I just sort of think that like that game five, just, or game four, just complete, just turd that he laid on the court is also just like, there's something in a coaching adjustment that just has to happen in that scenario where, where like, that's just the last thing with TJ that I'm just like, dude, like, can you help him read the room? Can you help him go to the basket? Like, he's helping on the defensive end. Like, what can you do? What have you not earned with him to, like, help him make that in-game adjustment? Because he still could have had an impact if he just did something a little bit different. And I understand the green light, but that that level of green light lost us that game and maybe the series? Like, I just – it it's, it's disappointing because we were like, oh, dude, he's turned a corner. He didn't do this last playoffs. He, like – he kind of was like, okay, I'm not going to be Dylan Kobe. I'm not going to think that I'm the best player on the court. And he's, dude, he's our fourth best player, maybe fifth at times. And, like, I'm sorry, he's never going to be more than that, ever, 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 ever on our team. And he's got to know it. And I thought he had turned the corner, and he hasn't. So that's why I'm disappointed, because I thought maybe he had figured it out, and he clearly hasn't. Soapbox over. I uh, I agree with all of that. It's it's Dylan to all the points Brantley just made. Um, during these playoffs, he was second worst on our team in box box score plus minus. 
only ahead of Jarrett Culver. So, you know, basically he was last. Um, his PR in the playoffs was, again, second to last on our entire team at 6.9, um, again, ahead of Jarrett Culver. Um, his value over replacement, um, don't really understand what that means, but I feel like people <laughs> talk about it a lot. Again, Dylan was dead last on our team behind Jarrett Culver uh, for the playoffs. Um, just really tough. Uh, we'll go true shooting percentage if y'all want. He was 10th on the team. Um, also took basically more shots than anyone else. Um, yeah, my biggest point is Brantley's is just like, you got to figure it out by now and you are who you are at some point, And I think he is who he is. Um, and for him to continue in this role, is just going to continue, I think, to hurt us too. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole of like why it happened and you could cite, you know, Jaws absence you could look at his own lack of of even just games played throughout the season and did that have kind of a weird adverse uh effects when it mattered most just due to um a lack of of being just through this whole season with this particular group was but i think the biggest question we have to answer and we're not going to know that answer necessarily is was the Utah series anomalous? And mm. I feel like we need a little bit more to test that. But all I know is it was like Dylan was finally on full display, like bad Dylan was for all the world to see. And you could really just feel it in a way that you've never felt it before after that game, not only on Twitter, but in almost every media outlet that was i mean obviously the warriors got the the number one spot of how they like won the game at the end but dylan was i mean up there as far as reasons that the grizzlies collapsed and i fully believe that game was in hand and while he wasn't the player at fault alone uh i think that that did play a huge part and i will agree I think just how far we have come <laughs> with Dylan on this podcast and the journey it has been, it was extremely disappointing to see the way it turned in the playoffs. And that's not to take anything away from him on the defensive end. I still think if you look at his like one-on-one, uh, you know, metrics against uh, any of the Warriors, they're still pretty good. But man, he took so much away on the offensive end and it's a pecking order issue it's a knowing your role and if that is a, a Jenkins I think it is a Jenkins thing um but man and he has enough he should know Dylan by now enough to know it's not you know he hit it yeah Dylan hit a three at the end of that game four but he also took a three at the very end that was even worse and missed it even worse and so yeah I think that is a very uh, fair award for most disappointing of this season. Um, who is next? I think, Ty, you've got the next category. I believe so. Um, so following most disappointing, we're going with most improved, just most improved player. 
Um, nominees are Bane, Jaw, Jaron, and Taylor Jenkins. Going back to what I said, everything from above, I just I feel like I have to say Bane. Um, I just didn't see that coming. Jaw laid the groundwork, especially last year in the playoffs. Um, I really can't say Jaron because I feel like he can be so much better than what he was this year. Yes, he had a good year, um, especially defensively. Um, and Jenkins is awesome, culture builder, everything great. Love that. But, again, I could poke holes in some lineup stuff, um, especially like we just talked about with the leash on Dylan. I feel like there, there are things he can prove on, but I, I feel like Jenkins had a phenomenal year, but I just can't, still can't get over what Bain did. So I'm going with Bane again with the most improved. He's my guy. I'll concur. Third. This is the easiest one on the list. Agreed. Nothing more on that. And I don't know. This next one might be even easier. It's the uh the defense. Yeah, it's just as easy. We only have one option here. Uh, and I, I guess I would just say that like <laughs> this is a this is an annual award. It's not a playoff award. And, um, you know, Trip, as you're listening to this pod on your way to Cancun or Cancun or whatever it is that you're going to, I guess I would just say, like, now that you've sort of learned what it takes to bring that level to the playoffs and be a little bit different, like, let's just figure it out. The pace is different. So, um, and can we add, like, a sub-bullet to Defensive Player of the Year, like, with, re- like, a rebounding thing? Like, it's also, like, being able to get rebounds. Like, maybe. Is that something that we could just consider? Because, I mean, technically a possession yeah, does that's not That's what I would love. Unless they've made a shot that's or you I rebound. Love. So. He, he and BC both, like, when they go into, you know, sort of thinking about their their attributes that they're going to invest some cash in this offseason, figuring out how to get some defensive rebounds would be – Real nice right now. Yep. Yeah, and I will say for Jaron, yeah, he is the the nominee in this category. And the, I mean, another part of this too is he had an up and down year offensively. Uh, he solidified himself though on the defensive end. And you look at any on off metric, and we hurt when he was not able to stay on the floor. And so he, and that was, I mean. It was what he did, the threat he was on offense, uh, pulled defensive out and opened the paint for Jaw and other players, um, even if he wasn't hitting at the clip that we're used to him hitting. But really, it, it played a part on the defensive end. I mean, it was really hard for us to uh, stop uh, any lineups effectively without Jaron. And so, uh, shout out, he really took a leap this year, and yet there is still so much improvement that can happen. Um, which is the exciting part of Jaron. And I think at this point, we were, uh, last year, it was all about what his extension was going to look like. And I would say that with the flashes he showed this year and the consistency that he showed in staying on the floor um, throughout the season and in that Warriors series, the I mean, we'll see how that improves. Uh, because if it doesn't, then we that's a different conversation. But... Shout out Jaron, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, next category is another slightly easy one, although the way that our nominees are set up, it's the MVP, 
and we have jaw, and then I have everyone but jaw in a category. <laughs> because this season seemed to be a tale of two teams. And it was a team with jaw, and it was a team without. And they were both really good. <laughs> but uh, I didn't really know who else to put in this category and didn't know how to effectively recognize the team uh, around Ja, but at the same time, if Ja is the only individual nominee on the list, is that a shoo-in for MVP? What do y'all think? Yes. <laughs> I agree. Another non-discussion point, I don't think. I don't really know what they're... I mean, we're about to get through all the like awesome things that happened this year, and they're a lot about Ja, all about Ja. I don't know. Yep, he's the MVP. I, it's going to be his award to lose. I think every year, maybe for the next decade in the Denny's, uh, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, Ja, second consecutive MVP, uh, Denny Award for Ja. Um, all right, Brantley, do you want to take us through the want wants of the season nominees? For worst game. Yeah, so the fun thing about this is that we have like a lot of playoff games to point to and very few like regular season games. I'm sure there were ones that like really sucked, but they're kind of like easy to pull just like margin of loss, like the Hawks November loss where Ja got hurt. We lost about 30. We were sort of like, oh man, what is about to happen with the rest of the season? Which also like could sort of be like the best moment of the season in a weird way um, to the previous discussion, but we won't go there. Dallas losing by 27 in January. And then we have a lot of like Wolves game one, Wolves game four, lost by one. It was a really fun officiating game. Warriors game one, lost by one, missed layup by Ja. Warriors game three, lost by 30. Warriors game four, Dylan game, ugh, lost by three. Warriors game six, elimination. I I don't know how this isn't Warriors game four. I, the Dylan game was like the worst I felt about this team by far all season. It made me feel like just like a massive turd. I hated it. I hated every second of it. I hated watching it. It I. I I've already done my rant, but I could do another one and I'm not going to that one's that's my vote. What do you think, Ty? Yep. <laughs> I have an argument for the Warriors game one. Um, mainly because I just, I really have found that I don't love necessarily having home court in the first part of the series as much. I I just feel as though the the pressure to hold serve for two games, especially if you had a hard fought series the 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 series before and are just I mean we had a the 36 hour turnaround from the Wolves closeout game to game 1 of the Warriors and we had to defend home court, and if not, then we lose it, and they all of a sudden have the momentum. I thought that we played um, really, really, really well in game one, and yet 
Um, we still and they we also caught a few breaks um, from their turnovers, their bad shooting, and we lost by one. And I just felt like at that time it was just going to be an uphill climb. Um, but at the same, and, but at the same time, it's game one. Anything can happen in the series. But game four, by the time you get there, you've lost Jaw. You have this glimmer of hope, and I was having a blast throughout that entire game because to me, it was almost a, you know, you're playing with house money scenario. You're in Golden State. You're not supposed to be in this game, and yet you are, despite a historically bad shooting performance from a player that you would hope would add much more than he takes away when he's proven that he can be that player in the playoffs and yet infuriatingly keeps jacking up shot after shot, misses, 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 and you only lose the game by three when you don't have John Morant, and they played probably, the Warriors played their worst game of the series in that game, I would say, from a shooting standpoint especially. So, yeah, that was pretty terrible. Um, and if you don't lose that game, who's to say? Ja has even alluded to the fact that he possibly could have been a go for Game 7. And so he wasn't – maybe he's just saying that now, that the playoffs are over, and he just uh, – who, who knows if he would have played. But, yeah, I'm with you. That was tough. All right. Let's bring it home. Favorite game slash moment. I was joking with the guys before the podcast – I don't even know how many bullet points there are here. There's like 11 or 12. It's actually insane. And so I'm just going <laughs> to run through them, and we can just kind of relive them one by one, and then we'll try our best to pick one. Uh, but the first one I have on here is the Brooklyn game, the famous We Here interview. Uh, without John Morant, the guys came together for uh, a huge win when ESPN was in town for multiple days. And capped off by a performance that nobody expected to go our way. And yet we showed what Grizzlies basketball was. Uh, and Bain had, of course, the iconic We Here interview. Uh, what an incredible game. We were watching that one together. It was a lot of fun. The Jaw game, which was 52 points against the Spurs. He had the Purtle dunk, which broke the internet. He had the buzzer beater, um, the halftime buzzer beater, which is like one of the top plays in the NBA this year. Um, we had the win against the Suns when we had no jaw, Jaron, or Bain, and we were playing a full-strength Suns team, and that was near the end of the season when we were battling for We seeding. should have known right there, guys. We should have known that Phoenix <laughs> didn't have it. That's true. Uh, we had the 73-point win versus OKC, uh, NBA record. Shout-out Santi Aldama, highest plus-minus in NBA history. Um <laughs> We had the jaw block and the dunk versus the Lakers when a lot of national media started to actually pay attention to the Grizzlies. We knew what was going on way before that. Sub bullet of Bane talking shit to LeBron, which is also awesome. Yes, unbelievable. We have the 11 game win streak without jaw. Or, no, no, no. He was in there. He was in there for part of it. Um, I had that confused with a different win streak that we had without jaw. Um, we had the Warriors regular season when we were battling for seeding with them. We had the stare down when Ja like scored and the kid, the war- kids in the Warriors, Warriors jersey tried to give him a five and he like wasn't having it. 
And that was like the first regular season game of the season that felt like a playoff atmosphere, like the city was gearing up for it, and it was just an incredible game. We had the 26-point comeback in the Wolves game three uh, to go up 2-1, as improbable of a win as you will ever see. We had the Wolves game five with Jaws buzzer beater. He had 15 straight points in the fourth quarter. Uh, we had the Wolves game six, the closeout game, which is an all-around team win. We had the Jaw 47-pointer in game two against Golden State to bring him a win there. And then finally, I don't know why I have <laughs> beat Warriors by 95. I don't think that's – I think that's a typo. Uh, I think we beat them by <laughs> 39 like uh, in that Golden State game five. It did. We beat them by 39 in that game five. So, I mean, this is, and I will say this. Yeah, there's other This is an incomplete list. Like, I'm sure there are those of you listening out there that is just, are just like, why didn't you include this? Why didn't you include that? I'm sorry. There are so many. And, uh, (laughs) guys, I mean, what, which one sticks out the most if we had to choose one? Gosh, I have two, um, that I need to narrow down. The 26 point comeback has to be in there for me. Like the most improbable. I've never seen anything like it. I've just never seen anything like it. The fact that we came back being down 26 at two different points in the game. You mean you've never been on the winning insane. side of it like it. And then, you, I mean, we're, we follow Ole Miss and Mississippi State and yeah. the Grizzlies have, have also it. experienced it. <laughs> we know what it's like to lose that game. Just clarification. It's very true. It was just it was that that whole comeback was just absolutely wild, but I think what's going to take it for me is game two against the Warriors when Ja just absolutely took over the game and was the best player on the floor for the entire game. With a with a you know sharing a court with Steph and Clay and Draymond and apparently the new crown Jordan Poole who couldn't guard me, um, I think that was just like the greatest. I think that's the greatest game of a Grizzly I've ever seen play. Um, so I think I'd probably go with well, game Yeah, that game is definitely State. awesome. I think that, you know, all these moments have a common thread for the most part. It's about our superstar who, you know, at times was in the MVP conversation this past year. And – uh, maybe not even just at times. It was a substantial amount of time. It was he was in consideration, you know, in the discussion. Which is, y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've ever had that before as a franchise, and that just helps give a little bit of the trajectory of where we're at and and what the potential is. We have someone who can jump into MVP conversations and have a legit claim for that title. And I think the playoff moments are where it, like for us, just as a favorite game moment, like we knew, we sort of knew last year even, like what he could do in the regular season. And now it was about like getting us to that next level. I mean, seeing him do what he did in game five against a Wolves team that arguably outplayed us a lot of the time to just take over that game and show us that he can be that guy to take over. And, and score on the offensive end to, to lead us to a series win. I will always remember that. I'll always remember that inbounds play of Anthony Edwards making a gamble and Ja finishing at the bucket 
Um, I know what he did in game two was just incredible. But, like, Jaw just taking over that game, you know, and the dunk. It just, they're just and the so dunk many, at man, the end of the third quarter like, to spark that. I don't know. Like, it just, we weren't winning that series if that didn't happen, you know? And he grabbed it. Bleep me out there, Will. I mean, he just, like, 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 like all the things now in hindsight, like <laughs> a lot of you're editing, just, you're just seeing in the moment, like this guy, like has something different about his even mental approach to the game that shows you he can take stuff to the next level. If his talent matches it, like that's just all these people are now complaining about like what Harden's doing, what Booker's doing. Um, we don't got to worry about that with Ja. If he stays healthy and his talent keeps to grow, he's got the mental approach to the game that makes him different End end of the game End story. He can take over a game when his talent's there and he has the mental ability to do it. Like that, those two things aligning makes him, gives him the potential for us to do special things like what Kleiman said last year, which is to bring a championship to Memphis. That's a real, that's real talk. That was, that was my vote. Um, if I had to choose one, it was going to be that game. Um, I was actually there for it. So I kind of have this just, I mean, I was literally planning what I was going to say on the podcast in like a funeral style a eulogy. Uh, for the Grizzlies <laughs> during that third quarter. Yes. Like I was literally planning the eulogy and was sitting there and my wife was sitting next to me and she will attest. Like I was almost just silent. And then I didn't know what to do when Ja started to bring us back and like, 13 straight points in the fourth quarter and that game winner. I have never, I mean, I've never experienced a game like that. And just to the way in which we fought through that Timberwolves series. And at, there were a couple times in there that we truly didn't know if we were going to get out of the first round. And if we don't get out of the first round, we're having a yeah. completely different conversation. And just that, can I tonight. just say this? Like so how many, like I, let's say yeah. of guys in the playoffs, this year, how many guys could do that multiple times to lead his team to victory? How many? Katie couldn't do it lot. this year. I'm sorry. He's awesome, by the way. And Jaw's one less of than them. Five. That's the perspective. We're talking Tatum, Luca, totally. Ja, Giannis. Giannis, maybe, maybe I don't no. know. No, he hadn't shown it yet. I mean, like previously to last night, you would, someone would have said Booker, they're wrong. Someone would have said Paul, they're wrong. I, it, that's what we're talking about. Like maybe LeBron can enter back into that conversation next year. Maybe that's company, man. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying the last podcast. Like, there are not many players, and I think I even said maybe five or less than five that I trust at the end of the game with the ball in their hands more than Jaw. Like, there just aren't, and he's proven it in the playoffs at the highest highest stages. So, um, yeah, okay. Well, uh, the Denny Award goes to the Warriors game five, a game that will just. I mean, we we I think we came on after that um, on the podcast and said, where does that rank and grizzlies history in terms of like top games and it was up there um i think it was top three is what we decided so um 
All right, we have actually a, a brand new category to end it. It was added by our own Ty Smith Sr. <laughs> Ty, do you want to give our our fun category at the very end to uh, to finish out this podcast? Yeah, you know, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back this year. You know, we did a lot of good things. Some of the good things we did and is we hats. made some really cool T-shirts. Um, so I just wanted to I just wanted to throw it out there and hats. That's true. Socks and coffee mugs to come for sure. Um, what is the favorite Grizzden tea of the year? And apparently I misspelled minimalist, which is which is fine. Um, I'm gonna go Air Jaw, which is personally my favorite. Uh, the twelve shirt, and then the Call Twelve shirt, and then the minimalist Grizz design. Um, to me, the Air Jaws the greatest thing we've ever created. I don't know what the sales say. Wait, what, what about what about the Merry Christmas up. sweatshirt? Um, but that's what I say. That one was great too. See, I'm telling you, you could just go on and on. And we got the OG joggles too. Granted, that wasn't in the last year. This is this is a uh, an award for I guess just the previous season. So, I mean, uh-huh. the joggles is joggles classic. But count. It man, is classic. I like from a like. From a day-to-day wear, I'm a Grizz minimalist guy. But when you're talking about, like, what am I wearing to the game, the Call 12 or the We Got 12 or the Air Jaw, like, any of them, uh, I had a million people ask me where where I got that shirt. So, um, anyway, they're amazing designs. Shameless plug for Grizzden.com. <laughs> uh, shout out to... Uh, our our designer Mary Evelyn and she brings our ideas alive. Um, and shout out to Grind City. Designs I haven't taken for, off my air job hat. I'm for wearing us, but, it currently. Uh, I like the air jaw hat. Uh, Nike dry fit is yeah. unbelievable. You, you know, we got people hat. going to the beach soon. You know, just just grab you one. It's like it, it, it's moisture wicking, and people are like, "Wait, is that Jordan?" No, it's jaw. It's not mm. Jordan. It's jaw. Moisture wicking. <laughs> it's Jordan. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's late. Uh, it's been a great podcast. It's been a, a great Denny's episode, the third annual, like I mentioned, uh, 2022. And it is now officially time to close the chapter on the 21-22 season and start looking ahead. In our next podcast, we are going to briefly introduce the different topics of discussion that we will have this offseason. What are the list of things that the Grizzlies will have to decide on as we move forward, and what are our opinions on each? So I will treat that as a tease for our next episode And thank you for joining us. For Ty, for Brantley, I'm Will. We'll see you next time.